everybody. Okay, this is my recording. Doesn't say if we're recording. Anyway, here we are. We're at the Laugh Factory. We're getting ready to do our new broadcast. And here's the crazy thing. We're not even sure if we're running. So while Heather introduces the day, I'm gonna go look. Oh, look, two people are watching. We're live. I did it. All right, guys. This is what's happening. We have this amazing, amazing, amazing uh, comedian actor who's joining us, who's quite legendary. Everybody, Don Reed is here. Yay, Don! Hey, 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 hey. Wow. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, oh everybody? Thank you for joining us on the show. Well, you know me, Amaya. This is these are my best friends in the whole world. This is Heather McConnell. This is Felicia Chappelle over here in the middle and Pamela Green and Masavi Agreer. And we just love to have our favorite people together. We're at the Laugh Factory uh, Zooming. And I'm just so honored to have you on the show because you're just so brilliant from comedy to acting to everything that you do. So thank you for joining thank us. Thank you so much. Hello, beautiful people. How are you beautiful people? How are you? Good, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Pretty outstanding, pretty outstanding. Yeah, we- yeah, we were just wow. watching. <laughs> you know, I I was watching. Um, a friend and I were watching uh, the kung fu movies that would come on on Saturdays, and he said, uh, "Hey, you know, you do those sound and stuff. You think maybe you could do that?" And the process was, you know, different people have done it at different ways over the years, but I realized that I needed to do it like a ventriloquist, like the guy from Police Academy. He goes, "Hey." You guys, don't fight. But I realized if I had the laughter and the talking going simultaneously, like ventriloquists are like patting your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time, it would right. really come across pretty good. Like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you fighting. <laughs> You're not a good fighter. <laughs> so. It was about doing both of those. And then after I rehearsed it and did it on Robert Townsend's special, Robert Shaw, he's like, brother, you gotta do that on my special. Ah. <laughs> well, you even did it on the Cosby show too. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I remember that episode too as well. There was um, a great story behind that. Um, Sinbad, and I knew Sinbad back in the day. Sinbad and I used to kind of play jokes on each other once in a while and say, uh, hi, uh, Don, this is the president of show business. I'm great. Deal. <laughs> hey, this is calling from Paramount. Don, I got a great deal for you. So he called me and said, "Hey, man, um, Cosby wants you to be on the on the show next week. They're gonna rewrite the episode." And I hung up on him, thinking <laughs> he's messing around. <laughs> so then this is when we had, you know, leave the message at the beat. So I was listening to his. He's like, "Don, pick up. It's for real. Pick up." So I picked up the uh, the line, and um, they. Um, Malcolm Jamal Warner had seen wow. that HBO special on the weekend yeah. and came wow. in talking to Cosby about it. He's like, oh, you got to see this guy. And then Cosby said, let's have him on this week. So they rewrote the episode and I walked in and at the time the director was saying, we're going to have everybody do it. We're going to have Malcolm Jamal Warner and the other people in the scene do it as well. And Cosby was watching from a distance behind this pole. And he stepped in and said, no, 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 no. He said, this is this brother's thing. Go set him up, let him do whatever he wants, up and down the stairway, all over the living room. Everybody can sit there and watch him do this. That's how we're going to do that. So I don't know what would have happened if he hadn't stepped in, but they showed up the way he did. Ooh, ooh, what? 
<laughs> so pretty cool. That's oh, yeah. awesome. You've had, such, you've had such an interesting career. Um, how did you first, like, did you always want to be a comedian or did you want to be an actor or were you just, how did you end up in the first place getting on the mic? Um, it goes back to, um, oddly enough, and some of it's based in my one-man show. I grew up in Oakland in the 70s mm -hmm. and my stepfather forced us to be in that religion that rhymes with Tahoba sicknesses, right? <laughs> no birthday, no Christmas, no nothing. And I couldn't take it anymore, so I moved in my real dad, but I had no idea that he was a pimp. And so I went from this very, very strict lifestyle to this wild lifestyle. Wow. But what my stepfather oddly had led me through was a lot of public speaking, a lot of knocking on people's doors at seven o'clock in the morning, I mm. give so many speeches in the congregation and I was getting, he said, this is something you could do later. I was like, yeah, right. I don't want to do it. But when I went to uh, JC in Hayward, I got in a speech class and I killed it because I've been knocking on doors a hundred hours a month. Wow. So said, Won't you be on the speech team? And I got an intercollegiate speech and debate. And um, I started winning uh, tournaments and I started doing the humorous event. And then I got recruited to UCLA and I won the top comedy speech in the nation. But then what I did, I tried to go to a comedy club and do my speech and died the death of a hundred dogs. So <laughs> it, was, it was not good. It was not good. Yeah. I was trying to do a you know, thesis yeah. statement and three main points and hey, let me, they were like, no, we're not feeling you. Um, wow. And so I went back later and started working on um, the craft and I was sitting in the back watching Paul Mooney and uh, oh my goodness. Everybody, Keenan, everybody in that window came up around that same time, seeing Robin Williams thunder on stage, supposed to do 10 minutes and turns into 45. And the guy across <laughs> the room said, I had, the, you know, executives from, from APA to come see me. Like, well, they're not going to see you now. Got to <laughs> be ready. <laughs> Got to be ready. Um, but, but oddly enough, um, after um, I was in a comedy team for a minute, uh, me and this... Uh, white guy who later tried to kill me, long story. I'll tell you guys about that later. Um, but um, <laughs> but uh, um, Paul Mooney uh, came to me because I was in the comedy team and, and basically I was doing all the characters, sound effects and funny stuff. And the other guy was saying, here's Don doing this. Now here's Don doing this. Now here's Don. And Paul Mooney's like, no, 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 fuck that. No, no, fuck that. No, 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 no. you do not need that white boy introducing your bitch. You introduce your own motherfucking bitch. You're like, this, this young brother. No, no, fuck that, fuck that. You don't need him. You don't need him. I refuse to watch weekly you kill for this white boy. So I literally, um, and, and uh, oddly enough, um, uh, um, Steinfeld said, hey, who is this guy introducing you doing bits? And so I realized after time, after Seinfeld, yeah. they're like, do it. And I broke up with him and he got physical over it and stuff. And he was under, he was overweight. So I pushed him down. It was the easy <laughs> but, but I literally, after that, uh, was scared to go on by myself. But I uh, used to go up at the, there used to be a Westwood comedy store. And I go up and I did stand up uh, each week there. And then I started doing, uh, I was at the uh, comedy, comedy store. store. And the improv, um, and then uh, Townsend, Townsend started seeing, started seeing. Uh, me do some stuff. 
and the improv started relying. I was, got on evening at the improv and shows like that. And that started leading to being booked on the college circuit and, and doing clubs across the country. Wow. Mm. So also when you were doing Partners in Crime, were you, I mean, how many years were you in when, when you started on that show? I mean, in comedy as a stand-up? I think that was in, uh, I started doing stand-up, believe it or not, in 19, on my own in 1982 what wow. i'm 60 some people say i don't look it what you do not look it no, brother man. wow uh, I don't um, what, you but, have, um, man. what moisturizer are you using right. <laughs> <laughs> i just got this up called butterskin <laughs> but before that um I, my grandmother was 99 before she passed and she looked 69. so wow. she was saying baby wow. don't, don't baby don't wow. use no no soap don't use no soap, just water, just warm water. Woo, people using all this soap and stuff on that thing, drying out their skin, for, woo, skin all dry, looking a thousand, looking a thousand. So I literally uh, use only, mostly over the years, just uh, warm water on my face. And um, I just start using some like um, shea butter stuff to, to keep it somewhat smooth, but the hair has been gone for a long time. So it just wow. blends right in there, right? Um, but I started doing stand-up in 82, um, and there was a bridge that kind of happened right around the time I did that HBO special with Robert right. Townsend. Um, I got contacted by ICM because they could see through the stand-up that I could do voiceover. So that right. started, uh, my voiceover career started right around that time, wow. 88, 89. Right. I got in voiceover right. world and did like Spider-Man, the Flintstones, stuff like that. Really? And then, and then um, a unique link happened to um, someone called. They wanted somebody to write a spot and voice it, promoting a new NBC show. And they needed to be done fast. And I did it in an afternoon. So through a unique set of circumstances, I got offered a position at NBC to create, promote, cast, direct, and voice spots promoting all the NBC fair from Will and Grace to wow. Seinfeld to, um, oh my goodness, uh, Saturday Night Live, The Tonight Show, The Golden Globe Awards, um, Law and Order, all those wow. shows. Wow. Wow. Um, and it got me into the voiceover world uh, deep. And also, um, I was able to see from a network perspective. At the time, I was also doing audience warm up for network TV shows. Right. Um, so I got a real look from a corporate level a lot of the decisions uh, that are made and some steps that are taken. I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, I might wanna save that, but I wanna say something specific, possibly later, that I wanna tell every young comic who aspires to have their own show about how the network is thinking. And should, should I do that now or later? Oh, you know, I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, because we, we, we're going to go back and forth. I mean, I have so many questions too, okay. I mean, which we all okay, do. So, so here's what I found out. You can be as excited about the show you want to do as you can possibly be. But if it doesn't make sense to advertising and promotion, the show is going nowhere. So essentially what happens is after a showrunner, he's all excited and cool, the network, and they shoot that pilot, mm -hmm. they bring it to advertising and promotion and say, do you think you can sell this show? If advertising and promotion says no, your show's already dead. Ooh, wow. They say like... Now, right. uh, now, a network executive is like, no, I really love this. I really love this. I, I think so. But they really count on whether 
that show can be sold or not. And a lot of that, uh, a lot of that process is so minute. Like uh, mm-hmm. you've got this whole half hour pilot and you think it's hot and it's on fire, but America makes a decision to make it in the length of time you're at a bus stop light or a 30 second promo. That's the decision making window. So they need to cramp your show down to that space. Our marching orders at NBC were, in the time someone drives up to a light and looks at that bus stop poster, they need to understand everything about that show or a lot about why they wanna see that show. Visually what they see, the title and the tagline. And that should be able to draw them like, hey, I think I wanna check that out. Then when they hear radio spots, see online spots, it pulls together, I think I wanna see that show. But that happens way before they see, and you know your whole half hour pilot might be gold. Yeah. But if that improperly pieced together, that 30 second spot, you're already dead. I'm well, sending so- you my script. Sorry. Go <laughs> <laughs> so listen closely. Here's what a lot of people uh, don't do. They'll write their half hour pilot and they send in it and it's just the words. What you need to have on the front of any half hour reality show, any half hour scripted show, is a bus stop poster on the front of your script. So as soon as an executive sees it, and your agent's gonna fight this, the agent's gonna go like, no, 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 we, we, we don't do that. I know that the network's trying to make decisions so fast by right. being at NBC and right. rising to co-running the voiceover division, mm-hmm. I know that the decision is made and looking in an instant. Wow. So you wanna do what you can to mock up the best visual front, like you would see just at a bus stop of, if it's you, then it's you and your buddy leaning in with the title and the tagline. So they can say, oh, this is what this is about. And then they want to crack it open. Because everybody else already sent in the script with nothing on the front. Wow. And that could be the difference. And also, I want to say, well, the NBC, I did a lot of hiring of, of, of voice talent and I realized the thing that caught our attention from the vice presidents above me to the people who co-ran divisions with me to below was uh, being uh, irreverent or super polished. Both those Mm. things can catch attention. The whole, dear Mr. Jacobson, I'd like to take this time, all that, they hear that all day long. I hope hope to speak to you in a kindly manner. You gotta bring some comedy. You gotta break some rules and say like, I know your time is valuable, but so is mine, player. You need to listen to me. Something that kind of shakes up the normal manner of, hi, how are you today? Dear sir, and dear ma'am, I hope you understand that my work is intelligent. I've taken the time to <laughs> shake it up. Say, right. what I got is probably better than 30% of the stuff you have on your schedule. Just hear me out. Go with irreverence, shaking it up some. You know, I once told him, mm. uh, an executive uh, at Disney to, to get a deal. I told him in the Kung Fu voice that I could kick his ass and he cracked up. It was a risk, but it's a risk I took because I know everybody's going, how are you, sir? Uh, very good. Um, how could we, nah. <laughs> how about I kick your ass if you don't give me this? Deal? He's like, oh my God, you're so funny. Shake <laughs> <laughs> it up, you gotta shake it up. Well, I mean, what do you think about the the difference between the YouTube era now? I mean, you have guys that can show their stuff in, on YouTube, 
without the talent. I mean, you don't have to be as talented as I think. I mean, to today, I mean, you can do a five minute set and it looks great on YouTube, but you know, in actuality, you, you only have but two minutes, you know? So I mean- Exactly. I mean, um, well, those guys um, find out the hard way when they try to hit a club after they've been funny. I, I, I remember I wrote uh, Leslie Jones right after uh, she started actually, she was on Saturday Night Live and she started um, actually hitting the clubs hard during her standup. And I was like, oh my God, these people have no idea what they're in store for. She's the real deal, firepower, decapitation explosive standup type mm -hmm. person. And that's what we used to see her on TV. So when they come to the club, they go, they're gonna be, their mind's gonna be blown. And it's just yeah. the reverse for a lot of these YouTube and Instagram right. people. They got a funny little thing, da -da 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 -da, and the club said, oh, you got 170,000 followers. We'll give you the time, and the audience shows up, and they, <laughs> <laughs> hey, how's everybody doing tonight? <laughs> so check this out. Um, <laughs> like, Boo! Boo! <laughs> and so I, I implore those people to have their act ready before they make that step or load that night, which right. some of them do, with it's going to be a cavalcade of people doing 11 minutes each because yeah. they definitely don't have uh, the hour. The, the other thing is if some of those um, YouTube folks looked at their content as trailers or promos if they if you shot some of your funny stuff mm -hmm. in the format of a a trailer a three or five minute trailer with a voiceover he was a guy who lived in the hood little did he know that his cousin was a leprechaun hey what are you doing right <laughs> if, it, if you set it up like a trailer if it's something you're really interested in doing you're able to show them in that format, this is what the show would be. So I would implore people toying with that area to play with it in a trailer fashion. Right. And it could be really funny. It could be really, really funny. Right. Oh, that's wow. great. Wow. That's Wait, could you just reiterate how many seconds do they have to fall in love? Uh, basically about 30 seconds. And okay. there, there can be longer trailers online, but for um, the time that it takes a light to change, um, time for the pull up to a stop, and look at a poster. And that's the easiest thing to do is a one sheet over um, trying to shoot a whole thing. Uh, you can mock up with Photoshop and things, your picture and the title of the show and think of a tagline. And for everybody on this panel, um, if you need help with a tagline, I will offer you that right now. I've done it for a ton of series, ton of series. <laughs> I launched uh, always, um, <laughs> always sunny in Philadelphia. Wow! Um, wow. Just a just a ton of series I've had a hand in. Uh, thinking of that exact tagline, I'll tell you one that kind of put me on the map after I left NBC. I wanted to start doing that for all kinds of studios and networks, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and I'd done it for everything on NBC's lineup, from sports to. Um, you know, comedy to everything they had on the air, including the dramas. But um, a big deal came up for um, for Shrek, and Shrek uh, was uh, joining forces, DreamWorks, with Activision to do a game called Shrek Super Slam. And that was the name of the game in the game Shrek 
and Fiona and Gingy and all those were going to be fighting in the game. And they went out to some bunch of huge companies to say, hey, what's the tagline that's come after the title? And uh, I pretended like I had 18 people working for, for me, but it was me and my boy. That was it. <laughs> but I said, no, we're, we're, we're an entity. Whatever you give us, we can do. So I submitted along with a bunch of, ton of companies, and I won the account with the line, Shrek Super Slam kicks some fairy tale. They were like, whoa, that's it. And, and that was like, after that, I was able to get it with a Columbia, some feature films, some of Tyler Perry's films. Um, oh my goodness, uh, a bunch of work with Nat Geo, uh, Comedy Central, promoting Chappelle show. I did a, a lot of trailers, promo and voiceover radio content for Chappelle show. Um, but th that's, see, that's another muscle that we have as comics. We think yeah, in those- that's amazing. Seconds, that's, that's we think amazing. in those 30 second brackets, pop, 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 pop. So, yeah. um, and, um, and there was a guy at uh, NBC, one of the executives, we got along really well because he was a comic who gave up years ago, but he had the muscle mm -hmm. for a quick thought. And so we really hit it off. Um, and that kind of helped me move up kind of fast there. Yeah, because I, I see the business, I mean, you're so uh, well-rounded. And I, I think a lot of comedians who had those, you know, big, breaks then a lot of times they go away but you you, you don't see them anymore you want to like this guy was so talented and he went away but you were still there you've always been there you know it's like you're always there you're always doing something new you're reinventing yourself how did you come to that mindset which is well, well the um you know there's a lot of um and and, and i and i kind of dig this but mine is broader you know people say uh, don't have a b plan do not have a b plan because you may follow up on being, doing the B plan. Mm -hmm. And what I did is I looked at my A plan as an umbrella of entertainment, long as I was working in entertainment. Some people look at entertainment from a perspective, like if I'm not on stage and I'm not a star, then I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I'll go ahead and I guess I gotta go sell this insurance or whatever. When in fact, if you looked at all the umbrella of the different ways you can be in entertainment, mm -hmm. uh, then, then that being the key. Um, and so um, through my, I have a love for advertising because my uncle uh, was an ad executive uh, at a company called McCann Erickson. And he broke through like, in the late 60s to be a vice president of the company that did everything, everything that Chrysler and Coca-Cola Coca didn't print at the time. Mm. He was the vice president over that. And to break through like that as a brother back then was hard. Black, gay. It was super challenged world for him, but he just rose right above it. So I saw the example that that could work. So I always liked the idea of um, entertainment advertising, but I didn't know, I mean, of advertising, but I didn't know how much I liked entertainment advertising until right. um, when I was doing stand-up, I used to call my own phone to do fake promos. I wasn't in the business <laughs> at all. <laughs> Not even close, but I would call my own services tonight on ABC. A wonderful episode of Full House. Join in tonight at eight o'clock. See you there. <laughs> to nobody, for nobody, with no check coming and nobody to listen to it. I just <laughs> like the way, I thought of far more clever things than that over the years, but I just like that whole yeah. thing. In a world you would not believe, one woman stands against the drama of the world tonight on NBC. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Right? I'm like, 
Yeah, yeah, that's good. That'd be a good one. And my wife, my 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 now my ex-wife, she would say, "Why are you timing?" I get how you might entertain yourself doing this shit, but why are you timing out? I said, "Cause it's supposed to be thirty seconds. Maybe it's supposed to be a minute." She's like, "Well, what a waste of time." <laughs> Later on, when I got her that next watch, exactly. she wasn't saying that. <laughs> She saw what time it is. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah, that's 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 the fourth one in a series in a different color, the same watch. I'm gonna tell you, I have to go back for a minute though. I used to, you know, oh what I loved God. about you was the Twilight Zone. That oh just, wow, that was one of my favorites, bro. Like I used to watch. I used to wait for Partners in Crime first of all, but mm-hmm. and back then, you know, my mom just got HBO, and so it was like, oh my God, Partners in Crime is over. <laughs> <laughs> but Twilight Zone, I love the Twilight Zone, bro. That's why I would. I was just like, oh my god! And when the way you used to do it, it was just so cool, man. I swear to God. Well, you know, uh, that was a, a interesting situation. I've been doing uh, what, what I call because his name is Rod Surly. I've been doing Rodney Surly in my stand-up yeah. for some time, and and so uh, Robert had done something on his. On the third special, that at the last minute, they told him probably, I think, a week in advance that they couldn't get it licensed. They, they, they couldn't get a clearance to do it. And so he called me. He said, Don, so check this out. Um, I'm stuck right now. And I saw this thing you do where you do uh, Rod Sterling. If we could do that in the hood and give it wow. some, some of our fire on it. It would be yeah. cool. So he called me and um, and uh, my cousin, I called my cousin, David Williams. I said, we got a chance to do this. And we stayed up until the wee hours of the night writing those initial ones in one night. Wow. wow. We did, um, we did uh, The Gold Digger and The Man to Be Dug. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> she, she said, uh, hey, um, look like you got a nice watch. But yeah, I also have eight of those watches. <laughs> And you, I saw your Jaguar. I also have a Ferrari. And he's, <laughs> so she's digging. Yeah, and he's like, at the same time. And um, and each time you cut back to her, she has on some rope around her or a pit. Yes. Next thing you know, she's got a mining cap on. Everything that you gold mine with. Every time the camera goes back. <laughs> and Ross Picture <laughs> the gold digger and the men to be dug. And... So we did that one, um, and then we did um, one where um, we did um, uh, gang members fighting yes, on colors, but they were colorblind. Yes. So they were shooting the wrong guys. <laughs> <laughs> we did that. And, and the one that we didn't air because we ran out of time, and um, Barry Diamond played the character. Um, it was a guy who smoked so much crack, he turned into a ball of crack. Uh-huh. And we didn't get to air that one because we ran out of time. Oh, man. It was but, um, just brilliant, man. It was like it it was ahead of its time. I mean, it was so many yeah. heavy hitters. Tommy Davidson, John Witherspoons, like even Sinbad. Robin Harris. Robin right. Harris. I mean, that was like the the gangsters of comedy. Like when you talk about what we looked at and what we mm-hmm. wanted to follow, mm-hmm. those, your 
group was the dominant group of comedy. I mean, it yeah. was the reason why I wanted to do comedy. That's the reason I wanted to do comedy too. Yeah. I mean, like, like I, I wow. remember, I remember, like, just when I'm when you think about, and, and it's funny because you can go back and they still stand. They stand yes. strong now. As and it was funny because, you know, I I've been on the road and I, I wasn't. I had I, I had heard your name, but I didn't associate you with that that kung fu clip. Uh, and it wasn't till like Robert had posted on the page, and I was like, "That's the guy," because like Sinbad, Sinbad was like, "You got to, you got to meet Don. You got to meet Don." That's just Sinbad kept telling me this, and then it was like, you don't understand. I, I I've devoured what you do um, as part of my like daily routine before of before I became a oh, comedian. Oh wow, that's that's deep. You that's know, deep. yeah, it, it's like really the seeds of you know, and I have to say, it's really there with. That you guys and like Mel Brooks, it's like that's yeah. how I, I that's yes. exactly at that level where I watch Mel Brooks and then I go to Partners in Crime and then I watch I'd watch all you guys and that made I go to school, high school, you know, you go into school and college and that's your humor and you're just remember the member that did you see the did you see uh, yeah, the, yeah, 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 acting it out like everybody did, everybody yours was the number one because it was. It was that that we all used to do. <laughs> I mean, I, I, we, that, dude, it's like you're an icon for us, man. It's like you are embedded in comedy history for yeah. right. us young comics. Cheeks are hurting right now over this. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, well, that's the other so thing which is really interesting, and I know that um, for, as well from Heather today, we were just watching um, some of your performance art um, and you, your theater work. And uh, Felicia also has a, a, a one woman show that she's, she's has been starting to, she was touring before the pandemic. Um, and, you know, Heather's an actress and, and we're, how did you make that brilliant transition? Cause as we were watching, uh, which, which was the name of the piece the today? Snap, the piece you did on Snap Judgment? Yes. <laughs> was that part of your one man show? Was that part of your one person yeah, that's, show? That's um, an excerpt. Um, with some tailored pieces specifically for those live performances because I've saved so much of it for um, a concert shoot that that uh, Robert Townsend is going to direct. Um, my my flagship show, East 14th, that ran off Broadway in New York, it won, won a bunch of cool awards and stuff, and NAACP double-nominated um, show. But I've taken excerpts from my show and then extrapolated on them in different uh, ways. Um, but um, there are about five or six of them there. But the, uh, I think the seminal one is I Miss Tony about my brother who yeah, became I actually a- cried on that. That's you know, right, I, it's I, so I teared powerful. Up on that. I teared up yeah, on that. Yeah, that. Um, that one changed, it kind of changed my life. But the, the backstory is um, while I was at NBC, um, this um, other, the guy who co-ran the voiceover radio division with me, uh, uh, my Jewish buddy's name is Mark Rappaport. He said, I want to do a one man show. And I wasn't thinking about doing one at the time, although I had watched Whoopi and John Leguizamo. And I, and I was telling these stories at parties that people say that could be a one man. I'm like, oh, I'm not talking about no pimping and Jehovah's Witnesses on stage. Cause my act was always <laughs> back then crispy clean. And actually because of that HBO night, um, Johnny Carson called me, uh, called called Townsend at home and said, "I want him on the show before I leave." But that, that's another story. Maybe we can get back to you later. Ooh. But um, but um, 
Um, wait, where were we? Where were we? On, uh, I was trying to tell you about- We were talking about doing a one-man show and how you were already working on material, but you hadn't made a decision yet. Exactly. So the guy um, I was working with, he said, um, I'm working on a one-man show. I was like, uh, what, what is it about? He said, it's about um, it's about my uh, Jewish parents always on my back saying, why am I trying to be in a, why am I in a creative uh, business? Why don't I do something solid, like be a doctor or a lawyer? And he said, uh, how'd you grow up? I said, I grew up in Oakland in the 70s. My stepfather was Jehovah's Witness. And my real father was a pimp. He said, you need to do a show about that. So I literally started writing that show Honestly, in around 2000, I started writing that show in 2000. I didn't get it on stage till I was in 2006 because mm. I was afraid to talk and be that vulnerable about my family. In the meantime, I got down to the wire on Saturday Night Live, down to the wire on In Living Color, down to the wire on Matt TV, with him going like, wow, there's a lot of great stuff here, but there was some meat missing on the bone because I wasn't telling any truth. And it didn't have to be a dramatic truth, just a comedic truth. If I had done some of the characters that ended up in my one-man shows, they would have went, oh, boom. But they were all impersonation-based. Almost everything I presented to those shows that ended up, and down to the wire, I'm talking about boom, boom, me, in here, and Tommy Davidson called me like, how'd you not get on the show? What went wrong? But you had, I can only implore be authentic as soon as you possibly can. It's a shortcut and it'll empower you beyond your dreams. But I was trying to dance away from that. I didn't want to talk about, you know, my father being a pimp. I didn't want to talk about uh, the religion. I don't want to talk about the whippings that my stepfather gave me, the control I was under. I don't want to talk about the embarrassing moments that were in my mind, terrifying at the time, but any comedy can be turned inside out mm. uh, to be hilarious. Because um, comedy is tragedy. It's all about conflict as it is, as you guys all know already. But um, it took me a long time to face my truth. And as soon as you face your truth, and I'm big ones, it's going to be like you put on the, the nitroglycerin when you start telling that thing that you don't want to talk about Talk about that. That's what <laughs> Pryor was already doing. Paul Mooney was already doing. So edit that stuff you're like, uh, I don't know about that. That's the exact thing you need to laser in on. And there's a way to tell it and make it funny and super dramatic. Or you can tie it into your solo show and have a lot of laughter and then underlie it with those big dramatic moments. And it's mm. super satisfying for an audience. You know, there's a lot of fire and making the audience laugh. It's one of my favorite things. It's a, a wonderful blaze to do dramatic work and have people feel, mm-hmm. but to go on stage and take an audience through both levels of hilarity and tears mm-hmm. and wrap it up with, I'm still standing here, nothing like it on planet earth. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, you did such a beautiful so, job. The, the piece I saw was only 17, it was like 17 minutes, maybe for snap judgment, but you did such a beautiful job of opening up with so much humor and slowly weaving in the dramatic points um and then to and to end with such a powerful powerful statement and it felt so honest talking about how the time when you ignored your brother for the first time yeah and told him 
and like the moment after with him braiding your hair and not speaking and the whole it just was it was so well woven and so raw and so honest it was just it was really like a beautiful piece like i thank you um, see the whole thing <laughs> thank you so 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 much um i i gotta say um working with snap judgments executive producers in particular glenn washington he helped me find that space and this is how you you, you can layer this into your um your one person shows layer this into your uh scripted shows as well uh, even particularly your lead character for them to have the most layers you've got to layer in uh their faults and you can find that by by pointing out things that are not good about them. Uh, the, one of the best examples of this is The Sopranos. You knew Tony was a bad guy, but you were still rooting for him not to get hurt the whole series. And he's killing people the whole time. But you're like, don't let anything happen to him. We're rooting for him. And <laughs> yeah. that's because you are showing layers. And so what uh, Glenn Washington introduced me to was not just... Uh, I'm an ally of the trans community and don't be mean to them. Don't be, what about when I wasn't right? If I can show my turnaround too, then I'm really exposing something that most people won't go into. And the average person won't have the firepower and the juice to go on stage or to write about that in a script. They just won't do it. And that's why your work will stand out. That's the very mm -hmm. reason why, because most people don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. But it's a short, it, it, it everything. Say that again. No, I'm sorry about that. I was saying, do you think um, being around the right people too at the time you are changing as you go forward through your process helps you? Like the people that in your life at that moment in time to help you get to that next level that slowly helps you climb? I, mean, I, I think it can, but I think it is additionally about remembering the grand things you've been told to reach those levels to be around those people. Like you probably already been told some things that you go like, uh, maybe didn't remember them exactly or didn't execute all the way with them. That grand goal that you get, you've got to execute with that stuff so you end up being around the right uh, people. Um, um, by going into the solo world, remembering um, some of my best experiences in terms of writing. I ended up, because of the HBO specials uh, and writing that Twilight Zone piece, I ended up writing uh, and being a creative consultant and punching up a bunch of half hour shows as well. I would go in for one day a week, they give me the script the day before and I put up them, this is make it funnier, this is make it funnier, pow, 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 uh, for a bunch of shows. Uh, but those writing experiences and uh, galvanizing those and making myself better get you to people noticing you. like. If I hadn't done I Miss Tony, then I wouldn't, I don't know how soon I would have got back on Robert's radar on a high level from the ask me right. to come join him to produce his show with him. Um, if you hadn't seen that, but that shifted the perspective of a lot of people in the industry about, oh, Don's on that level. Okay, because they know right. Robert's a beast and to work hand in hand with Robert you know, week after week after week after week after week and watch them go on stage and say, okay, I noticed this time you kind of shifted up this and this line here, you flip this. Because mm -hmm. um, Roberts, you know, comes ready-made. But if you can mm -hmm. lay some gold and some polish on top of 
the way he rolls, mm-hmm. then you're, you're, I think you're, I felt like I really stepped up the game and it's, it's impacted everything. It's impacted everything I have in development. It's uh, impacted who's approached me mm. um, to represent me. It's impacted production companies that have noted my stories and saying, how are you turning? Cause I have um, six one man shows now. Woo. Wow. Like, wow. like, how do you want to turn these into other fair? How do you want this one to be a television series? How do you want this one to be a film? And I wrote all the work so that when you watch it, you say, I watched a movie or this could be a TV show. I wrote with the things I learned from the network level of working for half hour shows and working. Um, I sold a couple of features that never got made, but I knew the structure and the detail. I, I created my solo work with the impact of you watching a film. So that someone say, this could be a movie. I'm like, you're damn right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, um, that's also, um, it's kind of funny because even with a lot of the ideas of what we had, um, when, I, when I've been writing as well, I feel like you, you have to go inward. And it took me a long time, like the last piece that I'm doing now, my, my one person show, which is my incognito show. When I went back to New York, uh, it helped a lot. Of just it's all it's it's kind of a lonely space because it's like you have to really go inward. But you know the one thing is is that you know the idea of um, I've heard Robert talk about athletes. You know if you listen to the words of what athletes say after they finish their championship games, the words the things that they get focused on or don't get focused on. They don't get hung up on a bad play. They keep they just they continue to uh, acknowledge moving forward and. And I, th- I think that it really, like the growth is personal. And that's one thing that, um, you know, it, uh, Heather and I have a similar acting teacher. He's, he used to run uh, the neighborhood playhouse. He was uh, Sandy Meisner's protege, uh, William Alderson. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so funny because we have like a, a young friend that's taking his taking his class and she's so, she's so mad. And it's just, <laughs> she's mad and like, oh no, these real guys, I mean, He's he has John Boyd coming in and out of there. He's got uh, wow. one, uh, Barry that oh, Barry Primus, Primus that worked with, with with worked with Kazan and and so if you don't come out of there crying and hate yourself <laughs> and have to re-examine, <laughs> it's a very lonely place when you live in the space of your ego, or you work with people who are there to destroy your ego, and when you can destroy the ego, then you're ready to work, and so. Um, one thing that's great about working the stand-up world, especially if you're in like in New York, where they will tell you, they'll hand you. You, you get a little too far on an ego. That that audience will clip you. You know, you have to. Yeah. You know, you come with the work, and um, I think that that's that's what was so exciting because I haven't been in class in a long time, but Heather is regularly in that class, and that your eyes are sharp. And I I, I walked into the room. I was like, "What are you watching?" She's like, "This is." This is brilliant. <laughs> you have this is Don's thing. It was just, it's just, um, it's just amazing. It's amazing to see that you know this as an artist that there's constant. You know, it gives me hope to think. Well, you're supposed to be constantly be growing. We're supposed to be constantly evolving, and and looking for the next step and prepping for the next step within each step. Yeah, the the, the moment you think you have all the answers is when you're you're dead. You're absolutely dead when you think you've got it all figured it out. Um, and, and but note for sure with confidence the parts that you do have to get out all those motherfuckers hard because that allows you to have that you know a strong presence 
in whatever whatever you're doing on stage right. or in your writing. No, own them. Know what you do know, but note that there's there's more you can take on. You know, just to think that you know some of the greatest filmmakers, performers of all time are always going like, yeah, but I always got to learn. I always willing to grow. You know, we know Chappelle goes on stage for hours, knowing he's never going to do a seven hour special, but he'll do five hours, knowing what he can learn and, and garner from that time to crystallize it into something special. That's going to class every time to go on stage for three and a half hours and go brrr, knowing some of it's not going to be funny brrr, and just drilling it out. And then just take that cream and turn it into a morsel and throw on people's foreheads and ask for millions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go backwards a little bit and ask you about something you said when you were talking about that vulnerability and finding your truth, the image that came to my mind was like an ice pick stabbing into that center spot of your own, my, my own center spot that says, okay, this is where the truth is, the part you don't want to talk about, your family, the stuff that feels revealing. And I, I could just picture like all the nervous endings twitching. And then I could picture somebody going, you got it, that's it, you're on. And I'm like, oh, that sounds horrible and terrifying and um, yucky. And I think I'm going to try it soon. But um, <laughs> the question part of it is how did you, Tell me, can you, is it too much to ask about the moment or the moments when that started to crystallize, when you understood that that was the missing ingredient in the recipe, you know, when the sauce started to taste like it had enough garlic, like how did you, how was that part, how was that part of the exact part of the process where you figured out, oh, what's missing here is my willingness to be vulnerable or to stab the ice pick into the truth and let the nervous endings twitch like a dying roadkill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So much what it's about, and yet, if you do it right, that roadkill rises off the road okay. and, ah, ah, and transforms into a phoenix with wings and diamonds. It's because it, it's some it's some good spit in there. Uh, can, I mean, can we use language on here or what? Yeah, yeah, we're fine. We're fine. We have one Jehovah's Witness here, Pam, that's present. She's yeah, she keeps well, disappearing it, off the it, screen it, it, because she's gathering her people to come get you. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it helped me a lot. If I wasn't a Jehovah's Witness, who knows if I would even be here right now. So I garner that light from that <laughs> um, But um, it was uh, a difficult process, and I highly suggest people don't take it as long as it took me. Um, for a six-year period, I was doing my one-man show and laying out as much truth as I I thought I was really, you know, kicking some ass. And I really was in some areas because basically there were two main road kills and I uncovered one, which was a story of my stepfather one day um, whooping me down onto the ground and then standing over me and saying, if you're a man, stand up and uh, uh, stand up and box me. But if you're an mm -hmm. animal, crawl to your room. And it was the lowest point of my life, that moment. And I put it in the show and it really helped galvanize. And I took it out for a while and I put it back in. So that was the first step towards going in there. Oh, 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 oh. Let, me, let me explain this first. Before I did it dramatically, I did it funny. I don't highly suggest you go that route, but I took the worst thing that ever happened to me and I made it funny. That moment when he said, if you're a man, Stand up and box me. If an animal crawl to your room, 
And I took this moment to be like, mm, um. so I'm crawling to my room, right? I'm crawling to my room because I don't want to get my ass whooped. And I made it, but that was the lowest moment of my life, but I made it funny. But as time went on, I realized I got to rip off the edges. I got to get out the ice pick and I got to start stabbing through the ice levels down into the mm-hmm. synapses, let the mm-hmm. synapses quiver around. But when I did, it was a whole new game. Because if you can do that, that is bravery in the flesh. That's bravery right there. And then the next step is to be funny some more after that, the audience is like, <laughs> and that's, that's the juice. And then you can go back down there again with another heartbreaking horror moment. If it's mm. not the very end of your piece, then to get them back up on, ah, it's a, it's a roller coaster. Cause that's what life is. It's a roller coaster. It's not this great distinct thing. And it's not all, all down. It has peaks and valleys and it, and it has a roller coaster feel. So all I can say is um, now that you know that there's an ice pick moment to do, you have to do it because you're alive and you know now. There's people who've come before us who, wow. you know, they were on a half hour series or whatever and they were like, hey, I'm the neighbor next door. Bob, <laughs> you're just nuts. And they made, you know, yeah. four million bucks and now they're gone. They never knew there needed to be an ice pick moment, but now you know and we all know, wow. so you better get on it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Me and my I know. No, I love that, man. That's so, that is so inspiring, but it's finding that voice and truth and letting, letting that pain go and letting it out is actually healing, but it also helps other people. And oh, so man. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the things you'll hear after shows when you do uh, solo work that entails the hilarity and the drama. Because uh, at the end of the day, race or otherwise, the experience is universal of being human and being hurt or being disappointed or distraught or injured. Um, And you, you know, I I didn't expect to, when I started doing my solo work, one of the things I didn't expect at all was you inspired me to call my, my brother and tell him, you know, we got some unfinished business. You inspired me to talk to my mother and say, you know, why'd you do that? And and change some of their relationships forever. There was a young lady whose um, mother used to mentally browbeat her all the time, just like tear her down. And she, she felt there was a direct connection between any successes she had and the lack of them because of her mother pressing her down. But she ended up... Uh, breaking away from her son and having some success uh, in the performance world and brought her mother to my show and said, mom, this is a show I, I saw and I said, I gotta stop letting you do the press. She said, I'm so glad you brought me too. So you never, I mean, those things are way different than money, way different, yes. but they're so empowering and they await you, they await you. If you go tell your truth, those moments await you, all of you. Mm. Well, Matt, I want to take you back one second, back to the Tonight Show. Can you tell me that story? <laughs> I, I, I wanted... <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's, it's a it's a fascinating story. But here's what happened. Um, I got um, I got a call from Robert Townsend. Robert Townsend said, "Don, uh, you ain't gonna believe this, but 
I just got a call at home from Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson called me at home and said he wants you to be on the Tonight Show before he leaves. He's got a couple months left on the show, and he's handpicking you to be on the show. Have your manager call the Tonight Show. I'm like, whoa, whoa, right? And so I tell my manager, I said, hey, call. She's like, I'm on it, I'm on it. She calls me back a couple of days later. and says, I, I can't seem to get through. I said, this is all hooked up. Just make sure you're calling Johnny Carson's office directly. Bam, get on it. She calls me back. She said, as far as I can get back, I see this guy, um, uh, kind of a gatekeeper, who wants to see you do two or three minutes to see if you're good enough. I was like, no. See, Robert explained to me directly that... <laughs> Johnny Carson said he can do the exact same set because it was clean. Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds and Kung Fu Theater. That set is the right length. It's the exact set. That's the set that I need to do. And we can, he already saw it. And that's what he wants me to do. And uh, a couple of other guys didn't get asked because they cussed on that special. But mm. I was clean coming from knocking mm. on doors and collegiate. Hey, uh -huh. So it worked out. Anyway, so she calls, um, she, she calls me back like a third time, like a week and a half later, and says, "Hey, Don, um, it doesn't look like it's going to happen." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" She says, "It doesn't look like it's going to happen." I, I, I tried and tried, but I can't seem to get through. So, I guess you're not going to do it. Two months goes by, Johnny Carson goes off the air, and I didn't do the Tonight Show. Um, I see Robert. Uh, we get booked at the, um, it was Robert Townsend, Partisan Crime, on tour. And we did the Circle Star Theater in the Bay Area. And Robert's like, Don, whoa, brother. You know, um, haven't seen you for a while. I don't get to watch all the time. What was it like doing Carson? I said, I didn't do it, man. He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? What are you talking about? It was all set up. I said, it, it, it didn't happen, man. He's like, damn, I wonder what went down. So about maybe three months later, I got a call from my manager's office. And the person was, um, for lack of a better explanation, like a, a, a gopher. They would get coffee. They book our flights when we got booked on the road at different colleges. Um, put, you know, toner in the copier, made the coffee, stuff like that. Uh, he called me. He said, hey, Don, I got to tell you something. Um, she never called Johnny's office. I was like, what? He said, she never called Johnny's office. She said, I know who she calls. I'm right here. And I heard her saying she did. And I know she did. Don, she also sat all of us in the office down a while back. And she said, we don't care if Don gets a movie or a TV series or anything. Long as Don's booked on the road, the lease is paid, there's toner in the copier, and you guys are paid. Don is the workhorse. That's his role with this company. There's somebody else I wanted to be on The Tonight Show before Johnny left, and that's who I called for. He said, you got to go. You got to leave, man. She's dissing. You got to go. And so, wow. and so I Wow. And so I left, so I left. But but here's what happened. Literally, 
17, maybe 19 years later, I'm standing in a BMW dealership in Santa Monica looking at a white Beamer. I cannot afford, but you got to look to stay motivated, right? So, <laughs> so I'm looking at it like, oh, that's real nice. X6, four-door. Yeah, the family. You look good in that, right? And I get a phone call. And it's a call from The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. And the producer says, hey, Don, check it out. Uh, here's what came up. The opening act warm-up gig for The Tonight Show has opened up. 200 comedians and their managers are pressing to get this job. Uh, it's killer money. You'll stay in town, be with your family all the time. You'll meet everybody you ever needed to meet for your next levels. Are you interested? I'm like, hell yeah, I'm interested. Producer said, look now, I can't give you the job, but I can get you down to like the last five people. I'm like, I'm down. Actually ended up getting me down to the last three people right around there. But the way it was set up is one comic was going to go one day. I was going to go the second day and another person the third day for them to choose who's getting this great paying gig to open for the Tonight Show every day. And um, I went um, the day after a guy went the day before me. I went the second day after the show. They said, we don't even care who was here yesterday, who's coming tomorrow. It's yours. Negotiated, crazy money, staying in town. Boom. Locked in. Ended up doing a thousand episodes of The Tonight Show with Jay Leno wow. and was on three times. Now, here's the thing. Wow. Here's the catcher right here. The guy who called me while I was standing in that BMW dealership. 17 years before was that little gopher in that office. He had now, decade plus later, become a producer wow. at the Tonight Show with Jay Leno and wow. he said, Don, you deserve this. And that's how I got that gig. Wow. Yeah, wow. Bob Whoa. Reed, Bob Reed. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's so you never know who you're talking to, you never know who you're dealing with and sticking to an ethical navigation system is the best move forward always. Absolutely. You know, I, I wasn't trying to be kind to him because one day he'd be somebody, that's who I am. So be you, be kind, and you never know where people ended up. And that's how wow. that worked out. And that was like, sweet, sweet, sweet. Hooked up with everybody I needed to, hooked back up with Arsenio to be able to work with his show, hooked back up with different people over time. Judd Apatow, different folks for different pieces to move around. Uh, so, and if I, I think back, okay, would I rather have been on when Johnny Carson said, hey, be on then, or would I rather be there a thousand days with a kick-ass wow. dressing room, talking and interacting on a business level with whoever I wanted to in the history of sports, entertainment, politics, or not? I think I have to take the route that God took it, which is this route. Yeah. yeah. You're too young to remember when Johnny Carson hosted The Tonight Show. So it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's amazing. I remember no. Jack Parr. How about that? I'm just oh, saying, wow. you know. Wow. <laughs> That's just inspiring. I like, I feel like, you know, sometimes I feel, it, it, like you're just saying, just telling true stories. I, I feel oh, like, wow. you know, I've, I've, I've been in some of those weird cut out of cut out moments in my career and, and then you think like, well, if this didn't happen, and then you're right, like they come out, you don't know how it's all gonna turn around into like a blessing. So that's just inspirational just hearing that. Yeah, um, there's so many of those stories in the mix and the, almost all of them 
you know, I'm older than all you guys. All those things end up having some kind of shine. If you look for the gratitude in any of it, it always ends up on the other side. Some kind of magic comes out of it. It's not a, a minus, you know. Mm. Uh, and if you had done things another way, um, they might not have turned out like that. Am I gone? No, no. no I just no. no. All right, he's come back. Oh my gosh, that was like gold. And like then he just disappeared. I feel like I was in boot camp. I feel like I have to rewatch the whole interview. Oh, no. last is you are? Okay, we were really worried. Heather just said. I just said I have to rewatch this whole interview and take notes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I have more. You ask me whatever you want. Oh, yeah. Wow, man. Pam, do you have any questions? Definitely a composition notebook type of day. Wow. Yeah, I don't I even know. Wi-Fi been going in and out, in and out. I'm like, I'm so disgusted with my Wi-Fi right now. <laughs> <laughs> She's doing the, the commercials for Comcast. Commercials for Comcast. No, I, I, I just, I, I can't hear you. Right we can barely hear you. You sent a mile away. All right. So Don, too, you also you uh, dealing with something called Missy Org. Is that, is that correct? Say that again. Yeah, missing.org. Yeah, it's, and uh, it's dealing with uh, sexually exploited children and that kind yeah, of Yeah, um, uh, I, I do um, uh, a grand amount of Trojan horsing messages, uh, Trojan horsing uh, messages in my work. Um, uh, for anybody not familiar with the Trojan horse model? Mm -mm. Yeah. No. Okay. okay. I mean, um, uh, back in Roman days, um, there was this uh, very powerful king in a castle with a very, very large army. And the enemy uh, was a much, much smaller uh, contingent. And so what they did uh, is they gave, uh, they gave um, this big king the gift of this massive, huge wooden statue of a horse. Like, you know, we know you're over us, you're the all-powerful, and here you go. And they gave him the horse. And at night, when the king and all his soldiers fell asleep, they had hidden a grand number of soldiers inside the statue. They came out and took everybody out, and they were head of the kingdom. So they snuck this powerful thing in. And I do the same thing with almost all of my work. I Trojan horse in some message I want to leave. Mm. And what? You know, you don't know it's coming and then it hops out of the horse and then the message is out there. And so I've known over the course of telling this show about um, my father being a pimp that it comes to mind. Well, who did your father exploit? Who did he take advantage of? What was what were the circumstances? Mm -hmm. Well, the circumstance was that my father was actually more of like a madam. Uh, he would a uh, middleman on women that came to him and said, hey, do you know some people? was ended up being a way safer. They wanted to be, they were down to be sex workers. And he wasn't a slap you upside the head, drag you in the car type of guy. It was a finesse situation where he is a middleman. If you want to meet the people I meet, I'll hook you up. He never did the standing on the corner thing. He had all the cars and all the hats, trust me, and the capes. So he had the visual aspect of that. But his, uh, his flow was, uh, do you want to have fun with me? And that was actually his punishment. Uh, my father, as some people could aspire to be a CEO, my, fire, my father aspired to be the most fun person people knew. 
and he partied every night and going out with him was an experience that people would say to me that I remember that night I went out with your daddy boy, <laughs> and that was his his um, step off for if he broke down with uh, interaction with uh, one of the women he was doing business with. Uh, he's like, well, you just ain't going out. He's like, no, no, no. Yeah, I, I, let, leave me still go out with y'all. I'm like, no, no, we going out. You ain't going with us. And then later on, they would go. They come back. What was it like? Your girl. We had the most fun in our lives, and you weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> he just, he just found a way to make that special. Um, and so, uh, through the course of the show, I tracked through. But at the end of the show, I draw focus through this organization. It helps teen uh, girls get out of prostitution. Um, there is a a big, big stigma in our society for for um, particularly for women who want to be uh, who will choose to be sex workers. Like some women enjoy that as a business, and it's not our business to try to override that. But a young person doesn't know any better. They have not been exposed to life in that way. And so mm -hmm. that's what we truly right. need to battle on behalf of anyone who's there against their will. And this organization, Missy.org, helps missing, exploited, uh, sexually exploited youth find places to get away, safe houses, hide, and get away from uh, their wow. their pimp, their controller, whoever's over that. And um, another reason why, even though the show is set from my experience in the 70s, it tracks to to now because there's some spots in in oakland where the track and the pimp game is still strong they're not wearing the hats they're now wearing athletic jerseys and a hat whipped to the side a baseball cap it's the hip-hop pimp but they still need to know the message that that mm -hmm. shit is not down find mm -hmm. a way to bring light out of yourself not take advantage of somebody else mm -hmm. wow mm -hmm. wow so wow. that's so much like I'm, she's right though i'm gonna have to take notes when i <laughs> Come back with a notepad. I'm I glad. No I'm, glad. I'm so wanting to share this this knowledge and light. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad we got you, man. It was. This is. I was hunting you down for months, you know, um, and um, I was just. This. This is a awesome. I mean, I'm just so excited today. This. This made my day, man. Really. Yes. And um, and there's there's more to come. There's more to come. Oh, For that's sure. great. Well, thank you so much. This has been so inspiring. And honestly, watching your piece earlier was just inspiring to me as an artist and and with the message. You have something coming up on December 8th, right? Um, uh, I think, is that with... Um, it's a, is it a one-man, it's a show, one of your shows? No, um, that show um, is on hold for COVID. For COVID purposes, it's on it's on hold. There's a show uh, I was doing at the uh, Powerhouse Theater in um, Walla Walla, Washington, and that's the theater to keep in mind, you guys, as you develop uh, your one-person shows, because uh, they program their season around, uh, noting they're going to pay X for this large production. It's, it's 325 seats with a thrust stage, stunning mm -hmm. theater, but the way they do their business is they say, okay. We're going to do uh, this production of Willy Wonka and this production of, you know, uh, uh, Hamilton, whatever else you're going to do. But they spot the rest of their season with solo work because it's the only thing that can be all those emotions as well. But be mm -hmm. cost effective. But their idea of cost effective is great money in our lives. Wow. Yeah. wow. 
Um, and uh, one last thing, I would I would I would um, try to suggest just as a business chess move that anyone that does stand up to look into uh, having a solo show as one of the things that's in your holster as well. No matter how great a stand up you are, if you can take the time to mine those dramatic moments that would never be in your stand up and don't mm. cross breed and just do your stand up over. Think of all the things that are not in your stand-up that arc your whole story, your memoir, and tell mm -hmm. that on stage. It's an additional revenue stream. And the money that is paid by a theater in one night is often two to three weeks work at comedy clubs because it's a right. theater. They have a subscription base. There are people who pay you know, $4,000 at the top of the year to go see whatever show throughout the season. And they're always trying to prefer their shows with the, their um, their their seasons with, with um, diversity. It's mm -hmm. their calling, and even more so now with everything that's going on. It's trying to make the fabric of a season be diverse. And some mm -hmm. theaters are not forward enough to put on the full blast production of Raisin in the Sun, but maybe they'll bring you for 10,000 bucks to do your show, which will be diverse mm -hmm. and funny and dramatic. Mm. Oh wow, that's a great note. Okay, wow, that's which is which is the Walla Walla Washington one? I remember because then they did on Bugs Bunny. They did a Walla Walla. Everything was Walla Walla Washington on Bugs Bunny. So, I <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's in um, it's up north in Washington. It's called the Powerhouse, the Geisha the Powerhouse Theater. Geisha, yeah. oh, that's nice. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. exciting. But I'm 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 um, stepping into more. Um, uh, theaters and as um, as the right size come along, because Robert's going to be. I've been checking out some more theaters for Robert once the Cooties nineteen blows away. Um, <laughs> there are <laughs> some other theaters that uh, I'll be co-producing Robert's show into, um, mm -hmm. and then uh, I'll be also going behind him into some of those theaters. And depending on the size, and right now Robert's most interested in doing like three hundred and under. He he wants to make sure he's laser, laser sharp. And he got some amazing reviews already on his show, but he's mm -hmm. about double checking the double check. So he still wants to stay in that 300 seater window, right. 250 to continue because by the time he steps out, literally Denzel and Lena Waithe will be in the front row. So he's got to, you know, <laughs> have it beyond lockdown. Yeah, so that was amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing uh, in the middle of the last run. It was a little mind-boggling the amount of moments that were in that show. So I know, right? I was just um, like, uh, I don't know what vitamins both of you take. That's all. Dude, <laughs> you, like, I want to know what you eat, man, because this is <laughs> like for real. <laughs> you look younger than my buddies, man, and they're like. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yeah I'll, I'll be glad to break it down to you <laughs> no, no. So we're gonna be we need the food report the theater report the face <laughs> it unfortunately requires some 500 day windows of having your shit all the way on nothing Oof. but but yeah. but when you come out of it what? That's right. What? That's right. <laughs> you don't look like you. Hey, man. So I never did stop drinking. <laughs> I never did stop. I just couldn't get my shit. Don't want to be that guy. Don't want to be that guy. 
Wow. Well, you're just amazing. Any, anyone else have questions? We see if we can get Pam. Let's see if we can get Pam in for a question. Hold on, because she keeps disappearing. She's like, <laughs> she keeps fading in and out across our screen. Pam, Pam, are you there? Pam. No, nope. I took her out again. We tried to give her a shot. Is Pam available? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes. Can <laughs> <laughs> it worked. It worked. Do you have any questions? Hello, Pam. All right, we got no Pam. All right, we love you, Pam. We'll just have to we'll call you later. Love, love you, Pam. Pam, I still talk to my sister a lot. She's a Jehovah's Witness. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough. I mean, this is it's just this has been wow, what a pleasure. That's why that's why this is like my little dinner party without being able to have a dinner party. But you know, that's, oh wow. That's hey, how if we, you guys uh, get uh, you don't remember anything clearly or not, feel free to reach out to me. Hit me on E, we'll hop on the phone. Because if you don't drop the knowledge, everybody can't rise up. Well, I'm. So, we're all super grateful. Yes. And, oh, yeah, wow. we are grateful, man. Oh, you'll Thank definitely you, be hearing from all of us. I know. Oh, yes, man. Thank <laughs> you. I'll be talking about you to Felicia forever. I'm flattened. <laughs> I'm speechless. I will be in meditative thought for at least a week. I am so oh, wow. right now. I'm like, yeah. what? Yeah, and feel what? free for real. Because some people say, uh, go ahead and uh, reach out to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, um, Mo, you can, can you link us? Can you link us, Mo? Of course, of course. Thank you. He, yeah, you can. Yeah. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure thank to hook up with you, all you guys. Thank you for your time thank and you. thank you for joining us. For the knowledge. And yeah, we can't thank you enough, and we can't wait to see. Hey, uh, and do, somebody, please tell Jamie Masada I said hi. Please, can somebody do that? <laughs> yes. Yes. Please don't forget. Please oh, don't. No, forget. no, I won't. You know, like I, like I said, this is this has been like amazing. I'm I'm the newbie over here, and they're letting us do this as one of their main uh, podcast shows. So I'm super excited to be in here. So I totally will. Please he tell him I haven't seen him in in years and years, and please tell him I love him and I miss him. Okay. He was I, integral. He was I, integral. He was very very helpful at an early early window. Oh, that's wow. great. Right, I will right. totally do that. All right. Thank you guys. Bye-bye.